Good evening. Welcome on this chilly evening. So, um, thinking about this weather and everything, and uh, being from Chicago, a lot of people always ask us, aren't you guys from Chicago? This should be nothing for you guys. But Chicago's not like this. Uh, we tell them all the time that we go from uh, the heater in the car to the heater in the house to the heater in the store to the heater at work. So there's everything's insulated and nicely heated, whereas obviously on the mountain it's a little different. Uh, but um, thankful to be here and uh, be part of this community. Uh, so tonight we're going to be in Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. And if you guys read ahead, you guys know it's a good chapter. I always get the finger pointed at me, my, myself because uh, they say that I get the best chapters. But it's a short chapter. <laughs> it's a short chapter. But speaking about Chicago, this, that's where I want to start my teaching for tonight as we go and talk about Caleb tonight and, um, and, and also the, the tribes of Israel. The tribes of Israel. How many of you guys know that the tribes of Israel went through a lot? Right? A lot of times we look at the tribes of Israel and, uh, and we point fingers and we say, oh, they shouldn't have done that, they shouldn't have done that. When in reality, they went through a lot to get to where they were, to get to the promise, right? To the promised land. And, uh, and so thinking about that, it made me think about my travels to Chicago over the holidays. I know that January is almost over, but it almost feels like... Like it was yesterday, like last weekend. Um, so we have a lot of family in Chicago. So every uh, year we try to get out there at least once uh, to spend time with them. This year uh, we decided, as usual, to fly out of Vegas because who flies out of LAX? That's just crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, so we decided to fly out of LAX like usual. Plus, the plus side of that is that my dad lives in Vegas and we get to spend time with him. Um, this year, we got to spend a little more time with him than we thought we were going to, which was a blessing, but at the same time, we were hoping to be home for Christmas. And uh, so we got to Vegas a couple days early. I told my wife, Sonia, she's, I told her, hey, let's get there a couple days early so that we are not rushing the whole time. So we spent a couple days with my, my dad, and, and we, were, we had a good time, and we pack our bags, and we get dropped off at the airport. Um, we're two hours early to our flight, and when we get there, it looks like there's chaos. And this, it, usually if it was LAX, you would say, oh, this is just LAX, right? But this was Las Vegas Airport, and that's not a messy airport. That's a pretty get-down-to-business get kind of airport. So we get there, and we're, we spend a couple hours in line, more than a couple hours, actually, three to four hours in line, right? We miss our flight or whatever, but um, we get to the front desk finally after a few hours, and of course, being patient, right? As patient as we can be, and they tell us, your flight doesn't even exist. Your flight doesn't exist. It, it, it was changed at some point, but you were notified, and, and there was no response from you. So I was sure I didn't get any, any, any type of notification or anything because I had been checking the flights for days ahead. Um, so that was interesting. So all that to say, we, we, we figured it out. Unfortunately, because of the storms and everything that were coming, a lot of flights were canceled. I'm pretty sure you guys heard uh, on the news or whatever, a lot of flights were canceled. And so our flight got pushed to Monday. Our flight got pushed to Monday. It was Friday. Our flight got pushed to Monday, which means that we're going to miss Christmas with our families. But we, on the bright side, right, we got to spend time with my dad, Christmas with my dad, um, which was interesting. But it was fun and it was good. Um, so Monday morning comes, fast forward, Monday morning comes, I'm getting to a point here, Monday morning comes, and we show up to our flight ahead of time this time, because we're like, we're not missing this flight, we have to be there, and so we get to the airport, and the line, I kid you not, is like a mile long just to check your bag, just to check your bag, so we get in this line, and we're like, it's going to happen. It's okay. We're, we're going to get through this. We get through the line. We check our bags. We go through the checkpoint. We go to our gate. When we go to our gate, mind you, this whole time, Sonia is running. I'm just like trailing behind because I'm like, if she gets there, she can stop the plane. <laughs> She's the runner. <laughs> so we get to the gate, and they say it's the wrong gate. 
So then we have to go to another gate. Um, and we get, finally get to the gate. They said the plane left 15 minutes ago. So at this point, we're defeated, right? We're walking back out the, the, the security checkpoint, the opposite direction we're supposed to be going. And we're walking out, and um, we get back in line. And here we are in line for another probably like two hours. And there's chaos in the line. Everybody's discouraged because there's so many people there. Um, and at some point, I, I told Sonia, I was like, you know what? We're just going to go home. We're just going to go home. That's all we're going to do because we've tried it a couple times. And I'm just tired. I'm tired of dealing with the airline. I'm tired of dealing with uh, third world country customer service, right? Because when you call it, nobody speaks English. And so as we waited in that line patiently, people started to drop off. And they decided to leave and go home. And as we waited, we begin to, be, we begin to lose hope, you know. You're, you're in line for so long, you're getting tired, you begin to lose hope. And as we got to the counter again, we, we still had a little bit of hope, but we thought this is it. And so all that to say, this whole story we end up getting a flight for 10 a.m. that morning. We actually flew to Chicago. We actually flew to Chicago. And we're able to spend time with family and do some great things. The reason I'm telling this story is because throughout, that, throughout all of that, there were certain stops in, that, uh, in our travel that we weren't expecting. There were things that happened that made us lose hope. But the one thing that allowed us to keep going was that the Lord gave us hope. Whether we were good, whether we came back home, or whether we flew to Chicago. But something in us was like, yeah, keep going, keep going. And so I think something that the Lord was saying throughout the whole thing, that as I reflect back on that day or weekend, because it was really a weekend that happened, uh, he kept saying, not done yet. Not done yet. And I didn't know why, and maybe I'll never know why. I mean, I could see, like, uh, the, 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 the time we spent and the relationship and, and with my family. But I know that the Lord was saying, not, not, not done yet. And so the title for tonight's teaching is Not Done Yet. Because as I think about the cross, and I think about Jesus on the cross, I also see past, present, and future of this sacrifice. How, is, how so? You think about Jesus in Matthew 26. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And he's afraid, right? His, 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 there's sorrow in his heart. And he pleads to God three times, to God the Father three times, right? He says, take this away from me if it is your will. But what does the Father say? He says, no. And so Jesus, at the third time of pleading with God the Father, he says, your will be done in my life, right? Your will be done in my life. And out of his obedience, what I see with the Father is the Father was saying, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. Yes, there's, you, you have the prayer and then you have the sacrifice, but ultimately the end of that road and the ultimate goal of that road was that Jesus Christ would have fellowship with the Father once more. Yes, out of that whole process, out of that whole sacrifice, there, there came salvation. There came a, a, a bridging of the gap between God the Father and, or God and, and, and us human beings. But ultimately, the result of that road for Jesus was that he had fellowship with God the Father once more. Paul would say in Hebrews that he sits at the right hand of the Father, right? That fellowship, that oneness. And so as we look today at the tribes of Israel, and we see the different decisions that they make, the ultimate goal that, that, that God wanted for them was fellowship with him, was this oneness with him. And so what we're going to see is that well, what we already saw is that some of the tribes already decided what they're going to do, right? 
some of the tribes decided to stay on the east side of the river, right, of the Jordan River. And, and, and even though that, that's not what God wanted for them, God allowed it. And that's what happens in our life sometimes. But we're going to read ahead, and we're, sorry, we're going to read chapter 14, and we're going to see that Caleb, which is two of the 12 spies that went out to spy the land, was one of the ones that had faith in the promises of God. And we're going to see his story, and we're going to see the specifics of that. So before we get into chapter 14, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, because you love us so much that you give us uh, promises, you give us direction, you gave us your spirit, Lord, that, that it can live in us, Lord. We don't walk this earth aimlessly, Lord, but rather we walk it in your light, Lord, following your footsteps and the guidance of your spirit, Lord. So tonight, Lord, I pray that this word may be um, a word that touches our hearts and speaks into our lives in such ways, Lord, that we are transformed, Lord. Lord, um, I pray that we may set aside anything in our hearts and minds that may want to distract us from what you have for us tonight. That what I speak may be only what you want me to speak, anything that you don't, that, that Lord, you may just keep it back. Father, thank you for tonight, and thank you for allowing us to gather together to read your word and, and be filled by it. Lord, we thank you tonight, and in your name we pray, amen. So chapter 14 starts like this. It says, these are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar, the priest, Joshua, the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the, of the tribes of the, of, child, of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses, for the nine tribes and the half-tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. So we see here that the Levites are the only ones that don't have an inheritance, right? That don't have land that is given to them. They, and the reason for that is because they're to become the priests of the people. As we're going to see right now, they're to dwell in the cities of the people. So instead of them get, getting a territory, they're still part of the taking over and all this, but it, instead of getting a territory, what they really get is to, to live amongst the people, right, as priests. And later down the road, what we're going to see is that when they have a temple, they actually become the priests and the ones that serve in the temple. And, and something that was interesting as I was looking at uh, and a commentary was that I hadn't thought about before is that the Levites, when it comes time to the tabernacle and the temple and, and then the feasts that are given, basically they end up working seven days of the week instead of six. So they're the ones that work the hardest. Remember, the, one of the instructions of the temple was that the candle or the, the, the lamp was to burn without stopping, right? It was to burn, I guess, 24 hours a day. Uh, the whole day it was and night it was supposed to burn. So they were responsible for keeping that going. And so they would take turns, but it would be, they would work the hardest. And so um, the reason I say this is because we see that even though the priests don't have something territorially, uh, they do have the Lord with them. And, and with the Lord, they're called to something greater, right? They're called to something greater. Um, and it's interesting because um, a lot of times I think uh, we as Christians, we can focus on the here, right? Like what we have, what we don't have, because in the culture that we live in, it's a culture full of materialism, right? Like who has the newest TV? Like I visited family members and um, I remember last year they had a, last year they had a big TV and, and I, I went to their house and I was like, wow. Your TV now fills the whole wall. Like, that's even a bigger TV. And, and what's the initial thing that happens in our hearts? Yeah, like, right? Like, like righteous jealousy, right? Like, oh, I want that. Right? So I start nudging someone. Hey, like, can we get one of those? Right? When ultimately, do we need it? Absolutely not, right? But, but, but you know, you, that's 
just the culture that we live in. And so we see that for the Levites, you know, it could have been so easy for them to, to as, you know, priests, as ta- caretakers of the temple, of the tabernacle, to have said, hey, like, where's my piece of the pie? And unfortunately, we do see it later down the road, right, with, uh, with, with Samuel uh, and uh, Elijah, uh, Eli and his sons, not Elijah, Eli and his sons, and how they were taking portions of the sacrifice that they weren't supposed to. They were taking advantage of the temple. But what ends up happening is that the Lord takes care of them, right? And, and he, they, he, the Lord actually brings judgment on them right then and there, and they end up dying. And so what we see is um, it speaks highly of the responsibility of, of, of those who are called to take care of the house of the Lord, right? Those who are the high priest. And if you're here tonight and you're like, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a worship leader. I'm, I'm not even in any ministry, right, involved in any way at church. Well, the Bible says that we are high priests, that we are the high, we, we are priests of the Lord. And so with that, there's a calling to take care of the house of the Lord. And the house of the Lord is not just this building. Yes, does the Lord call us and actually command us, commands us to, does the Lord command us to uh, a fellowship together and and we're two or more are he's going to be there yes absolutely but he never mentions the building so the church of the, the house of the lord is really wherever we're at right because the holy spirit is everywhere and god is everywhere he's omnipresent and so what we see is that with the levites is like they were to dwell in the cities and they were to be these people that were to uh, uh take care of the temple but their responsibility was also to the people to lead them in the way in the worship of the lord and so for us it's a it's a responsibility even if we're not in ministry um like i have a secular job and and, and in that secular job I, it's my responsibility to also be a representation of who Christ is and work. Uh, for example, like they work seven days. It's like, obviously, I'm not going to work seven days, but what is the Lord calling me to go above and beyond, right? To get, to, to turn the other cheek or whatever may be, however you may want to see it. So we see here um, that they're not giving like a physical inheritance but in verse 4, it says, For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they gave no part to Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. So you see here that they divide the land, right? Um, and then... Coming up is where we get into the first tribe that's actually going to get their inheritance, right? And there's going to be the tribe of Judah. So here in verse 6 it says, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, a man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. Okay, let's stop there. So basically, it's interesting because Judah is the first tribe that's going to get their inheritance, right? And then we see that um, Caleb being one of the spies, the first spies that went to um, basically spy out the land, he probably had some right to the land that he chose, right? So makes me think about the tribes that chose on the other side of the river, on the east side of the river. Caleb could have easily said, hey, this land looks great, you're right, but this land belongs to me because I get to choose first, right? I get to choose first. But do you guys remember what happened with Lot and Abraham? Abraham was Lot's uncle, and he takes him with him right when he leaves because he leaves everything behind and he takes him with him. And, and, and the Lord begins, begins to bless him, right? Because the Lord told him, be fruitful and multiply. And he begins to bless him, he begins to bless him. And because Lot was with Abraham, he begins to bless Lot as well. But we see that it comes to a point that basically 
uh, they start to have problems because of overpopulation. And they say, and so Abraham comes and says, hey, we need to separate. We are, we're obviously growing beyond what we can handle, so let's separate. So he tells Lot, go ahead and pick whatever you want and whatever you don't pick, I'll pick. And what does Lot do in this instance? What does he do? Says, the Bible says that he looked up and he saw green pastures, right? He saw good land. He saw with his eyes, right? And he picked that land. And he said, well, I'm going to go this way, and you pick the other. Now, fast forward, what we see with, with uh, Lot is that not many good things happen with Lot, even though he picked the best land, right? Even though he picked the best land. And so here with Caleb, we see that he could have had the first stab at the land, right, that was before them and that he could have seen with his eyes. But rather than Caleb seeing and choosing with his eyes, what he does is he continues to be patient. And something that we're going to do, something we're going to see with Caleb is his patience, right? How many of us are patient in here? How many of us pray for patience in here? I stopped praying for it a long time ago because every time I say, Lord, make me patient. Yeah. But we see that Caleb, he's, his moment has come, and, and, and he's, he comes and he speaks to Joshua, right? And he says to Joshua, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Barnea, in Kadesh Barnea, right? So if we go to um, Numbers chapter 14, so if we go back to Numbers chapter 14, there's an account of this, of what happened there, which we kind of, we know the story, but basically what happens here is spies are sent out, right? One out of each of the tribes, and two of the spies end up giving a good report while the rest end up doing the complete opposite right and this is the account of that so in verse 14 this is so people are are went to spy out the land that they were going to take over the promised land so chapter 14 of Numbers says so all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried and the people wept that night so notice here the, the news of the of the spies who decided to be afraid caused this reaction in the people Right, And it says, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Do you guys remember what they went through in Egypt? 400 years of slavery. Then the Lord took him from Egypt. He showed him his magnificent power. He got him through the wilderness. And then the people still say this out of this report. Then in verse 5 it says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. So notice the uh, response of Joshua and Caleb, right? They tear their clothes. It's a thing they used to do um, uh, to, to uh, basically represent the, uh, the, their hearts to be uh, in this place of disbelief of what the people were doing. Um, so we see here that they tear the clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel saying, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to, said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. So notice here, 
that while all the other spies are pouring fear into the hearts of the Israelites, what Caleb and Joseph are doing here is they're speaking the truth of God. Do you guys think that Caleb and Joshua were afraid? Yeah, right? I mean, who wouldn't be? They were giants in the land. Some um, studies say that the giants were somewhere like anywhere from 8 to 10 feet tall. I think basketball players are like 7 feet tall. Have you guys ever met a basketball player or a football player? It's just like, where do these people come from, right? Like three times my, my height. But we see here that even though Caleb and Joshua saw the threat, they saw what was real, they chose to believe in the Lord. And they chose to see the good things in, in the situation, really. They chose to see that the land was flowing with milk and honey. They chose to see that the Lord had his hand upon them. And so in verse 7 it says, um, what we see here is that uh, Caleb is going to start reiterating what was said to him. In verse 7 it says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Berea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. I think it's so interesting that right here it says that he spoke the word that was in his heart. Right, he spoke the word that was in his heart. It wasn't his um, his report of what he saw. It wasn't a conclusion of what he saw, but rather it was something that was already in his heart. And it's so interesting to me because many times when we're in these situations that are difficult, right? And the Lord says, "Hey, I know that you see that giant, but I'm going to." see you through this what's the initial response of the heart is we're really honest with each other right what's the initial response of the heart fear right the heart's like no right like no i i don't usually the heart comes after right it's usually the mind trying to convince the heart that the heart is wrong but the mind is right right i don't know if that goes through your your guys' mind but when situations like this arise for me I'm being really transparent with you guys. The, the first thing that happens is not the Lord is good. The Lord is awesome. The, the Lord is going to see me through this. We got this. I mean, I wish I was one of those people, right? But rather, I think about David, right? David, the Lord used David in so many situations and did things in such a divine way that the only way that David could ever be David and be in the places that he was and have the people sur- that surrounded him was by the hand of God. Yet what did David do when the situations arose? When he saw, when, when there was giants, right? Many times he ran. I mean, his youth, he, when he saw the giant, he obviously he stood up and he was like, yeah. But we see that that, that many times he had fear. But you know what's so cool about that? Is that many times that fear pushes us to the Lord. Many times that fear pushes us to the Lord. Right? The Lord sees something in our hearts that he does not think belongs there. And what happens is he allows these situations in our life so that he can push us to the Lord. How many of you, how many of you guys are there tonight? Where something is going on in your life where you know that you know that you know that the Lord is saying, come back to me. That the Lord is saying, come to your knees. I want to have that fellowship with you. I want to have that fellowship with you. You see, Caleb's heart was there. Caleb's heart knew what God wanted. Caleb's heart, though I'm pretty sure it felt fear, it chose to express a worship towards God, right? Even when all of Israel, by this time they, there, was, there was a lot of them, right? There was a lot of people. And imagine four, really, because it was Aaron, Moses, and uh, um, Joshua, and, and Caleb. They're saying, hey, the Lord has us. And what's the whole nation of Israel saying? Take us back to Egypt. We were better off there. Right? 
But we see that Caleb's heart was in the right place. Caleb's heart was in fellowship with him, with God. So in verse 8 it says, Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. What is this? It made the, the heart of the, the people melt like just water. Like they lost all heart. It says that he wholly followed the Lord. He wholly followed the Lord. And, and, and if we look at historically at what um, Caleb was doing and, and, and his life and everything, he was with the Lord the whole time. He was given completely to the Lord. I mean, you have to be completely given to the Lord, right? To be in this place where he's at. I mean, we haven't even gotten to the nitty-gritty of it. But here in verse 9, we see that it says, So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance. So notice here, the, the, the land that he's going to be given is one that he's going to choose. Right? It's one that he's going to choose. How many of you guys want to retire here? Right? Retirement is, <laughs> retirement, I think, is such an American culture thing. Right? And we all look forward to retirement. There's nothing wrong with retiring, by the way. I think, I think retire, the fact that we get that option is awesome. But I don't think retirement is really retirement for those who are in the Lord. I think it's just a next phase, a next season in life. Actually, Pastor Adam could tell you that. But we see here that wherever his, he set foot, whatever he chose, he would, that was going to be his inheritance and his children's forever. So he says, that, and, uh, and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord um, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And since, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. So he was 40 when, he was 40 when they went and spied out the land. I know when we read these stories, sometimes we think, oh, he's, they have to be young. They're spying out the land. Uh, but he was 40 when he spied out the land. Now, 45 years have passed. And this is finally happening. How long have you been waiting for your promise? How long have you been waiting for that word that the Lord spoke to your life, to your heart? Right? This makes me, see, I'm not very patient. My wife will tell you otherwise. She'll say that I'm patient, but I'm not very patient. You see, um, I was, we we're talking on the way here, and I was, ta- I was thinking about how long I had to wait for my, for my wife, right? So I, I didn't grow up a believer. I didn't uh, give my life to the Lord until I was about, I think, 26, 27. Now I can't remember. It's been so long. But uh, it feels like forever. But from the moment that I could think of it, I knew I wanted to get married. I knew that I wanted a wife at some point, right? Um, so basically, the first time I met my wife was around 27 years old. That was the first time. From then, I had to wait four years for me to actually, like I said, I met my wife. Like I met my wife and it was like, oh, like, you know, like, it's like I knew that I knew. Some, that kind of thing. I can't explain it. It's like I knew that I knew. I remember uh, talking to my mom about this. I'm like, I think I met the one. Four years later, four years later, she finally, she finally gave me a date. She allowed me to take her out. Right? Once we started dating, the Lord called me away to El Salvador. And then she got called to Green Valley Lake for a season. So after we started dating, we still had to wait another year and a half before I could propose to her and then be married. It's a long time, guys. And I'm not patient. <laughs> but you know what? I think about that process and how difficult it was um, because I knew that I knew, right? But I also see the blessing in the waiting. I also see the blessing in the process, not because of the process, because the Lord was in the process. And every step of the way, we both sought the Lord to see what he wanted 
And there came blessing with that. Anyway, we see here that he's been waiting 45 years, right? And it says 45 years, verse 10, middle of verse 10. Ever since the Lord spoke, did I skip? No. Okay, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. How, many, how old is he? 85. I feel like some of you guys are 85. You guys are sleeping already. He's 85 years old, right? Um, in our culture, we would say, you know what? Have a seat. Let the young men take care of it, right? Just have a seat. Retire. Do what you have to do. But he's 85 years old, and this is what he says in verse 11. He says, as yet I am strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war both for going out and coming in. So we see here that his strength, he's not just saying I'm strong, but what he's saying, I'm strong in the Lord. Like I, I, I guarantee you for 45 years, Caleb was preparing for this moment, right? For 45 years, because of the where his heart was to begin with, Caleb had a plan of how he was going to wait for the Lord. And I think it speaks greatly of how we wait for the Lord as we wait for that promise to come true in our lives, right? For the Lord to do what he said he would do. And I don't know what he's spoken to you um, in your life. But I know I'm waiting on promises that he's made to me. I'm waiting. I, I'm, I'm waiting not patiently, I guess, sometimes. Sometimes are better than others, right? But how are we preparing for the day when he comes and says, hey, it is time, right? It is time now. Are we going to be ready? Because he waited 45 years. And at 85, he says, I'm so strong. Not just like, hey, look at this. I can lift. But like, I'm strong for war. I'm strong as that day. Which is crazy for me to think. Um, And so we see that. And then this is what he says in verse 12. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. So what does he ask for? Does he ask for a nice home or a nice river that he he could just... He could just die by or something like that. Absolutely not, right? Caleb is ready for war. He's ready to take over what the Lord has promised them, right? It doesn't matter. It didn't matter what age. I think Caleb could have been 100 years old and he still would have said the same thing. By the way, by this time, Joshua is about that age. But I think Caleb could have been any age and and still it would have been the same thing but i think i like this last part where he says it may be that the lord will be with me right he doesn't say the the lord's with me and and this is where i'm going he says it may be whatever the lord's will is he spoke i believe it but i'm going to walk out in faith and see if it's true right i'm gonna test it out because he spoke it he doesn't say he is with me and he's go- he has told me that he did this, you know, like I'm going to conquer them. He already knows there's giants. I think it's awesome that he picks giants to, to fight at 85 years old. I don't know that I would do that, honestly. I don't know that I would do that now. And I'm half his age. But we see that Caleb still has a fight in him. And it's not because of him, but it's because where his heart is with the Lord. It's because of his fellowship with the Lord. Because look at what happens here in verse 13. It says, we're going we're gonna to finish here, and then I'm going to point out three things that stood out to me. But it says here, and Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. So the word Hebron means fellowship. So what does, what does Caleb receive he receives fellowship right he receives fellowship and so he gave it to him but guess what it doesn't end there jesus christ died on the cross so that we could have fellowship with the father 
but it doesn't end there. It's not just something that falls upon us and, and we just have fellowship, fellowship with him, right? Because what does Caleb have to do now? He's received Hebron. He's received fellowship. But now in verse 14 it says, uh, Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. Right? Now he has to go and take over this land. He, he has to go and basically he has to put work into it, right? So I think as I was reading this uh, short chapter, the thing that really stood out to me is that what he receives from all this, 45 years in the wilderness with people who were unbelieved. Was he, was he an unbeliever? No, right? He was believing. He was walking in faith. He had the Lord in his heart. He had the, he, he, he had the faith to go and take over the giants. But what happened? He still had a delay because the Lord said, I'm not done yet. He said, not yet. And so what we see here, what stands out to me is, is this word Hebron. Because, yes, he's given us fellowship. And this fellowship is there. But it doesn't just fall upon us. Rather, it's something that takes work. But it's something that Jesus Christ has died for us on the cross. And I don't know where you're at tonight. Um, if, if you're in a place where you're thinking about the past, you know, like what the Lord has done before and what he's not doing now. Or if you're thinking, seeing the present, and you're saying, I don't know that I could just make it another day. I'm just in that place. Or if you're thinking about the future in fear, right? Ultimately, even though those things do matter, they don't, right? I don't think through all this process, Caleb was looking at what, like everything God had done or what he was doing, or what he was going to do. I think Caleb, it's, it's that verse that says he just had in his heart. He was full of the Spirit of God, and he had the Lord in his heart. And because he had the Lord in his heart, he had that fellowship. And no matter what the Lord did in his life, he was patient, and he waited, and he believed, and he trusted. And I think that's... That's what I want for us to take away from this tonight. That's what I think the Lord is speaking to my life and to our life. So how do we get, how do we work for this fellowship? How, how do we work to get in fellowship with the Lord? Because it's not always easy, right? Sometimes we sit down to get in fellowship with him, and we just don't understand what we're reading because we're so distracted. Because things are going on in our lives. Because we're remembering the past. So I want to look at Caleb really quickly here. And uh, we're going to finish here. And just three things that he said that allowed him to be, to be in this fellowship with him. And I think this is how he lived his life. I don't think he just came to this point and said, this is what I want to do. But allowed him to walk in that fellowship where his heart was always in the right Place. The first thing is, in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, he says, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. So this is what Moses said to him, right? You have wholly followed the Lord my God, was the first thing that he said to him. You see, in order for Caleb to follow, to wholly follow the Lord, the Lord God, I think the thing he had to do was embrace the past. Okay, embrace the past. Many times we, dealt, we dwell on what could have been, what should have been, but wasn't, right? For Caleb, he was screaming probably at the top of his heart's lungs, right? If the heart had lungs. Um, he was screaming, we can take the land. If only I can convince so many people to take the land with me, then the Lord will bless us and be with us in that battle. 
but he couldn't because the only two that had, well, four, I keep saying two, but two spies, let's say two spies that had faith in that moment were Joshua and Caleb, right? Joshua and Caleb. And so we see that in order for Caleb to move past this moment and not think, well, Lord, you could have given me this, but you didn't. He had to embrace the past. Initially, I was going to say face the past. Um, but when you think about facing the past, you, you, you basically you face the past and then you leave it behind, right? But I don't think that's our life with the Lord. I think everything that's happened in my life, the Lord either used before or will use or is using now in my life. So to embrace it means that in everything that's happened in our lives, we see the Lord. We see the glory of the Lord no matter what happened, whether it was death in our family, whether it was uh, somebody hurt us, whether it was loss of some kind, or even if it was something that was joy, right? Mistakes. Embrace the past. I think that's what allowed Caleb to wholly follow the Lord. We can't follow the Lord. We can't have fellowship with the Lord if our hearts are full of past things. He said, let those things go. I'm doing something new tonight. I'm doing something new. Let it go. So then secondly, the second here thing here is, he says in verse 11, as yet I am strong. As yet I am strong. It's, it's interesting that he starts with that. I am strong. So the second thing I think is we have to face the facts, right? We have to face the facts. Because all that he said before this was that he was waiting for 45 years, right? So initially, if you think, and you don't know the story, and you think, well, he's been waiting for 45 years his whole life, you think, okay, that he's still young, right? But that's not the case. He's 85 years old. In our culture, that wouldn't be good, right? But facing the facts is important because he says, I'm 85 years old, but I'm still strong. Why was he saying he was so strong? He was saying he was so strong because he was strong in the Lord. Right? In Isaiah 40, it says, to the weak, he gives strength. Right? And I'm pretty sure this whole time, um, Caleb was preparing physically for this war that was going to come. Right? But ultimately, his strength didn't come from his physical strength. I give you that. Because there's many pumped up people in the world that, you know, workout is probably America's, like, main thing, right? Yet, where are we at as a nation spiritually? Not in a good place. Not in a good place. But you see, Caleb faced the facts. But those facts led him to believe and to know that he was strong in the Lord and he was strong and ready to go to war for the promises that the Lord had for him. So we got to face the facts. I don't know what that looks like in your life. But we have to see reality for what it is because it's there. But once we see reality for what it is, it should point us to the fact that we have a greater God. We have a big God. Because how we see our situations, our problems, whatever it may be, you fill in the blank, is is going to really define how we see our God in the long run. If we see our problems so big that not even God can take care of them and take care of us through that, in that moment we're seeing God that small. But it's important how we see God. So embrace the past, face the facts, and lastly, lastly here in verse 12 it says, Now therefore give me this mountain, of which the Lord spoke, of which the Lord spoke, right? So the third thing here is encounter the future, encounter the future. Why? Because the Lord spoke, right? And because the Lord spoke, he said, I have a heart for the Lord, and the Lord spoke, and I'm going to step out in faith. Right? I'm going to step out in faith. I don't know what the Lord is speaking to our lives right now or what the lord has been speaking to your life but i urge you step out in faith encounter the future that the lord has for you for caleb 
It was giants. He knew it all along, right? And yet, he continued to believe, continued to have faith, and he encountered the future, which meant for him, at 85 years old, conquering a land that was full of giants, and not just any giants, some of the greatest warrior giants that have ever existed in history. And so we see here, in order to have that fellowship with God, we need to embrace the, the past, face the facts, and encounter the future. Why? Because no matter who you are, who you are in this room, what you've been through, how long you've been in church, how mature a Christian you are, whether you're a pastor or not a pastor or the president of the United States, it doesn't matter. He's not done yet. He's not done with us yet. He wants that fellowship with us. But we need, we need to, to seek him. So tonight, um, as, as we go tonight, what are the things that you have to embrace, the things that you have to face, the things that you have to encounter that will get us to a place where we're in fellowship with Christ according to the sacrifice of Christ and according to the way that the Father wants it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross we thank you for all that you have done to reach out to us, Lord, and not even to meet us halfway, but come the full way, Lord. I pray that as we go tonight, Lord, our hearts may be wholly given to you, Lord. There may be no partiality, Lord, um, and that as we completely surrender our lives and our hearts to you, Lord, um, that we may have that fellowship, Lord, and that everything in our past, everything in our present, our future, Lord, may just be consumed by you, Lord, because the Bible says that you are the Alpha and the Omega. You're the beginning and the end. And you're, you never change, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that when we think of us in a, of ourselves in a linear way, Lord, I pray that all we may see and think is you, because your glory supersedes any experience in our life. Lord, we thank you, Lord, and ask for strength, Lord, to face the giants, to face our future, because ultimately, Lord, it's that fellowship with you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In your name, amen.